Hey, this is Rob Harder with Making Your World Better, a nonprofit leadership show where real stories from real people who are coming up with real solutions to solve society's biggest challenges. What does it take to be an effective nonprofit leader today? How do people fundraise in an economy that is constantly in flux? How do you relate to board members in a way that inspires them to make a difference? What are the best practices that separate effective nonprofits from others? It is my hope that through these episodes, people can learn not only what it takes to be an effective nonprofit organization, but to hear real stories from real leaders who are successfully making a positive impact in their communities. We hope you enjoy this series as together we hear how they're making their world better. Today in the studio is Bill Krim. He is the CEO of the United Way of Salt Lake. And today he's going to talk about collective impact. It's a buzzword around uh, a lot of nonprofit circles. And they've had real experience right here in Salt Lake with a collective impact program that's spanned from 2011 to 2016. And in fact, has become somewhat of a model for around the country, not just for the state, of what collective impact can do. You're going to really enjoy what he has to say. And he has a lot of data to share. Bill, it's so good to have you on the show. And the first question I want to start out with right away is, as a leader of a nonprofit organization, United Way, what, in your opinion, is the most important role a nonprofit serves in our community? Oh, that's a big question, I think. Um, and thanks for having me, by the way. This is it's a great service that you provide, I think. Absolutely. Um, you know, I think there are so many different kinds of nonprofits, it's hard to say what their most important role is. I, I think for United, for uh Nonprofits that are organized to improve, you know, culture or the quality of life uh, in a community, you know, that that's their role. Um, for nonprofits like United Way that are trying to really address a core social problem, you know, the suffering of of particular people or populations. I think our role is not just to alleviate suffering. I think our role is to try to solve those problems. I'd, I'd even go so far as to say um, we ought to try to work ourselves out of a job. When you know, when we're organized to address human suffering, we ought to try to end that suffering. I like that. So work yourself out of a job by meeting these social ills. What's the role of government and, say, the for-profit sector that comes alongside nonprofits? Are nonprofits, in your opinion, the ones that should lead uh, addressing these social ills? Do we do it together? How do we do that? That's such a great question. I think over, you know, over the course of history, uh, we, we sort of ebb and flow as to our thinking about who's really responsible for this. And um, to cut to the chase, I think it's all of us. Um, you know, the, the term collective impact has become kind of common in right. the nonprofit world, uh, but really it's not a nonprofit term. It's uh, the, the very foundational premise of collective impact is everyone has responsibility to solve complex social problems, both or, or collectively, the nonprofit sector, government, the private sector, and really the individuals that make up an entire community. Boy, that and you hit a buzzword, and we were going to talk about this, so let's just jump into it. Collective impact, you're right. This is one that's been around now a couple of years. Um, and so talk about that. I know that uh, some people in Utah probably understand that United Way of Salt Lake has done some wonderful work in the collective impact arena, if you will. Um, 
define it for those who are listening and for those maybe are unfamiliar with it or have heard the term but not really sure what it means. So first of all, define it. And then number two, how are you doing it in the United Way? How are you going about um, organizing collective impact to address these social ills you talked about? Yeah. So I'm going to do a really simple definition, even though it sounds jargony. And, and for the listeners, if you Google the term collective impact, you'll just find tons of resources academic and otherwise about this idea. But really what it is, it's, it's rigorous cross-sector collaboration to a specific result. And that result is, is generally um, solving a social problem. Um, results uh, at the sort of individual or program level are not where you see collective impact. You see collective impact when business, uh, the broader community, the nonprofit community, and government get together and say, we all need to work together to solve a particular so social problem and measure our accountability together for so that So the problem. measurement aspect is critical in your mind for that Absolutely. definition. Yeah. The, if you go a level deeper beyond that, you know, the, there are five elements of collective impact beyond being cross-sector. So the first is that all of the partners share um, a common agenda. The second is that they share data and accountability for that result, that common agenda result. The third is that everybody works to mutually reinforce each other towards that end result. So it, it, that sounds jargony too. Basically, it says we all have to work together a little differently. We can't all be in our, our mission-defined silos and achieve collective impact. We actually have to ask our, ourselves the question, what can we do differently to solve this problem? Uh, those are the three core principles. The, yeah. the other two are, in, in order for the first three to work, uh, partners have to trust each other and communicate mm -hmm. constantly. And the last one is, for any of that to work, there has to be a backbone organization uh, that wakes up every day and thinks about how do I bring the partners together and help us work together. I like that term backbone organization. And I'm assuming, again, United Way has done that in Salt Lake. Talk about that. I know you've done some things around educational uh, issues and the gap between achievement gap. Uh, what have you done? Tell us about some of the results because I know there's been some wonderful things that have happened in the last couple of years. Yeah, United Way is an interesting organizational story because we've evolved from uh, this long and proud history of raising money in the community and simply, you know, distributing those resources to very worthy nonprofits to recognizing that in all of that history, we collectively have not reduced poverty. We have not closed the achievement gap. We have not improved the health of low-income communities. And about 15 years ago, our board of directors said there's got to be a different approach. How, 14 years ago? For, about 15 years okay, ago. Okay, so you've been yeah. trying to tackle this issue yeah. and wrestle it to the ground, if you will, for about 15 years. Yeah, yeah. And I, lots of others have as well. Um, the, the term collective impact was coined in 2011, mm -hmm. but the principles of trying to solve social problems are as old as the hills. Yeah. And right. the idea of doing that collaboratively is, is pretty old as well. Mm -hmm. the, the new thinking, though, is just being about really cross-sector, really rigorous around focus and shared accountability and the use of data in a continuous improvement kind of way to, to um, you know, not to sort of prove that one particular program solves problems, but to improve the way we all work towards that 
long-term goal. Right. So, so we took yeah. this on in 2015 mm-hmm. to start um, asking ourselves the question, is there a better way to get results for whole communities? And, um, and we went down this path recognizing that we had a lot to learn about bringing communities together and using data and measuring impact. And, and we've slowly, uh, together with lots of amazing partners, nonprofit, government, and private sector partners, uh, have been practicing this for about 15 years. In 2011, it became clear that around certain challenges, um, there weren't uh, existing sort of structures for, to support this kind of collaboration. There wasn't an existing backbone infrastructure. And together with our partners, it, it became clear that that was a good role for United Way. Um, United Way doesn't have to deliver services in the community. We don't have to, to um, teach kids or run schools or operate food banks or anything. We can, we can focus on the, the bigger picture of bringing people together and helping facilitate the partnership. And we started to do that really um, in a focused way in 2011. And, you know, the outcomes I could, you know, go on for the entire podcast to talk about, but I'll just tell you this in one community where we work, um, which is so impoverished five years ago that people said, don't expect to see wholesale improvements in academic outcomes for kids. There's too much poverty here. There's too much transition. It's just too hard. The achievement gap is just too wide. And, and the population is, is too, uh, impoverished, like mm-hmm. too many refugees, etc. And but we're glad you're here, right? It's great that you're here. This all sounds great, but don't expect to see too much change. So the bar was yeah. very low. Yeah, yeah. And uh-huh. that community would show up on lists of you know of you know social challenges that put it in a, in a really tough place. It's a wonderful community. Mm-hmm. Its community leaders are visionary. Its residents are committed and and just wonderful people. Um, but it's got a lot of poverty. So and how did you go about five yeah, years later? Okay. Well, with again, this is not United Way by itself, but sure. you know, you get a visionary mayor, you get lots of committed nonprofits working together differently. You come together and you get focused on every child's success. And today, we see great, pre- predictable, measurable improvements in many academic outcomes. That community has become recognized as one of the 100 best communities for kids. In America, are you and, kidding me? And, wow! And that's not because you know suddenly there's no poverty, right? It's because there's a recognition that everyone in that community is working together. the The silos have been broken down, Got and it. everybody is asking the question: How do we help every kid in this community succeed, go to college, and have a, a financially stable and healthy life? Fantastic. So you talk about multiple areas, sounds like, so educational achievements. Uh, what were some of the other things that you addressed? And then if you can share, um, what were the other organizations that you felt like were absolutely critical that did come on board? And then it sounds like United Way was the backbone organization as you used before. So those two things, what were some of the areas that you saw in results? And then those key organizations, because I'm thinking if someone's listening, they're like, oh, okay, so this is how you went about it. Yeah. Because it seems like most nonprofits, I think, would see that, oh, this goal is too big. And like you had the naysayers initially telling you, hey, don't expect much. I think a lot of nonprofits see that a lot of whatever issue they're trying to address. Um, so how did you plow through that again? Yeah. What were the key people and then some of the end results so far in five years? Yeah. Well, let me step back and, and draw out something you said. Yeah. My experience in the nonprofit world before collective impact was that in many ways, 
we were encouraged as nonprofits not to think outside of our own four walls. Hmm. So I, I remember meeting hmm. consultants uh, from you know foundations or f- from the federal government who were you know saying you know it's great to have a, a big vision and most nonprofits will have a, a really compelling big vision. Mm-hmm. And then I remember one, one consultant drew a line under, she wrote our vision down on the wall and she, she drew a line under that vision. And she said, this is the line of accountability. Don't go above that line, stay in your own box and focus on your own programs and measure your own results. And what a tragic way to think about the world, right? That just guarantees that we will never get to that vision. It just creates silence. Yeah, yeah. Now, I'm, I'm sure they did it in the defense of mission creep. Hey, don't have your mission have this creep, right? That probably was what their justification was, would be my guess. It was partly that, okay. and it was partly, if, if, you, if you actually try to work above this line, you, you risk not being able to demonstrate your effectiveness as an organization. And then you lose funding. You lose funding, right. yeah. Uh, and, and credibility. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So it's a little risky to work above the line, but if we don't, we're just guaranteeing that we never achieve a world where without an achievement gap or with reduced poverty. Right? We all have insight. to. Mm-hmm. We have to step out of our uh, of our um, sort of own four walls mm-hmm. and say, like, I trust that if we work together, we can actually solve this problem and then move on to the next one. I like that. Go above the line. Yeah. You've got to think about going above the line beyond your four walls. Yeah, That's yeah, good. Yeah. Okay. So, so that was a decision you had to make, first of all. So our board had way. to get comfortable with, well, what does yeah. it mean mm-hmm. to suddenly become accountable for something we don't fully control? Mm-hmm. So if we're holding ourselves accountable for whether or not every kid is kindergarten ready or graduates from high school, and we're not teachers, and we're not after-school providers, yeah. and you know, we, we're not counselors, we're, you know, we're just the convener. Right. What does that mean? And people had to get comfortable with that risk because when we go back to the community and your reputation's at risk, our reputation's at risk, we have to say to our funders, the individuals and businesses and foundations that fund us, like we're holding ourselves accountable to this larger goal that we don't fully control. And all of our partners had to get comfortable with that as well. Mm -hmm. And so that's the beautiful thing about this is that people did it. So, you know, after school programs and mentoring programs, and this is going on in Park City as well. Right. So the Promise Park City is one of these partnerships Mm -hmm. where people have come together and said, you know what, we can do this together Mm -hmm. and we're going to we're going to step outside of our four walls and we're going to think about how we hold ourselves accountable to every child's success. And it's a slow process. But, um, you know, every nonprofit that you would think of that serves kids uh, is, is pretty much involved. And how long did it take for you to see start seeing some actual tangible data-driven results? So we saw improvements in program results, I think, in the first year. Okay, just right away. Right away. But so you could build off of that momentum. Yeah, yeah. But really the goal was not just programs, right? Not measuring, you know, the hundred kids in a program, but the hundreds or thousands of kids in a school. And Good we point. started to see that in after about two years. And, you know, it's not perfect. I wouldn't, you know, there are so many variables to this. But the goal is that over time, as we change the way government, business, nonprofits work together, as we get more and more aligned, and as we get better and better at using data in rapid cycles of improvement, we will predictably see schools go from, you know, 
30% reading achievement to 50 to 90 to 100. Uh, there are two schools in, in South Salt Lake that once the state grading system went into place, they uh-huh. were identified as Fs. They went from Fs to Cs in a year. Wow. And, and those are not program outcomes. That's right. every child doing better. Right. right. That's a whole school where mm. if you're lucky enough to go to that school now, your chances of succeeding are significantly better than they were before. And you mentioned earlier, this is a school, sounds like that was made up of a lot of refugees, uh, mostly low income, I mean, the majority low income. Mostly low income. Yeah. yeah. Fantastic. I mean, that's that's wonderful. And that's the kind of result, like you said, that every nonprofit dreams of and every government dreams of. Yeah. And of course, donors who give to a nonprofit, they want to see those kind of yeah. results. And it's the kind of result that none of us could achieve together. Right. That's the thing about um, about this is every nonprofit, I think, that runs good programs. And, and I've never met one that really doesn't. Mm-hmm. Um, everyone measures their program effectiveness and, and sees good results. And the paradox is that for decades in that environment where nonprofits are are producing good program results, if you look at the whole community, we're not doing better. And the promise of collective impact is that we can actually get good program results, which lead to good community level results. Right. We can actually change. We, we, we talk about changing the odds because right now, if you're, you know, if you're born in a low income family, if you're born in a particular ethnic group, if you're born in certain zip codes, your chances of succeeding in life are very low. And, and I sort of think it's our responsibility as nonprofits to change the odds. I like so that, that term, change the odds. Yeah, every yeah. kid mm-hmm. is as likely to succeed if they're born in a, as a Latino or in a low-income neighborhood as they are if they're white and born in a wealthy community. And that's a really good point. And it's interesting. Now you've got some success to point to. And you can forever, well, at least for the next 10, 15 years, say, hey, here's what we've done. Um, we can do this in your community. But going back to that first step, do you feel like if United Way didn't take that risk of saying, okay, we're going to boldly take the risk of, we'll be the backbone organization, hey, school district, hey, government leaders, mayor, hey, for-profit um, you know, banks and corporations and donors, we're willing to take this risk. Are you? Do you think that was the key that you were the initiator in this process? Or did someone else initiate it and United Way kind of came alongside them and encouraged them and then gathered more networking organizations to get involved? Yeah, in, in our case, you know, we really were the catalyst okay. of that particular partnership or, or the promise partnerships. Uh, around the country, uh, the, the, the catalytic act of inviting people to come together and think about whole population level outcomes and, and real social change. Um, that comes from a variety of places. It often comes from uh, United Ways, but you know, in, in Park City, we didn't do this together. It was the Park City Community Foundation and the um, Education Foundation in the school district that were right there at the table saying, hmm, we could do this together. I remember that one of the very first, right after the term collective impact came out, mm-hmm. um, one of the very first learning opportunities in the country to learn about collective impact uh, was held at Stanford University and Katie Wright from the Park City Community Foundation and I were there trying to figure out how do we do this together. So so collective impact never works because of one organization. It's because multiple organizations come together and share this vision and this leadership and and a single backbone is is, uh, 
not really the way to success. You have to have multiple organizations playing a backbone role. Well, that's good to know. And I, and I think, you know, for the Park City listeners that I know there are many nonprofit leaders who are familiar with the Promise Park City. And that is very exciting because there are some challenges. And I think a lot of people outside of Park City don't realize that number one, you know, 25% of our community is Latino. Um, there is about a 20 to 25% low income rate in terms of um, uh, kids that qualify for free and reduced lunch in our school district right now in Park City. And I think a lot of people were surprised to hear that. You know, we have a food pantry, as you know, here at the Christian Center. And we have one in Hebrew as well. People are surprised you have a food pantry. Why would you need it in a park city? Well, the fact is the working class that have jobs, one, two, sometimes three jobs, but they're getting low wages. And so they're still considered low income. And all the challenges you mentioned about this neighborhood in Salt Lake area uh, are very true right here in Park City. So it's exciting to hear that, yeah, we are starting to make some progress and United Way is a part of that. But um, going back to what you said earlier, it sounds like to me, it can't just be one organization. It really has to be a collective group of people, going back to collective impact, all deciding together, we're going to do this. Yeah, exactly. You know, if, if a United Way or a nonprofit or a foundation wanted to do this and the school district didn't, it would go That's nowhere. That's a deal breaker. Right. But the great thing about Park City and the other communities where we work is that their leadership, right, superintendents and, and principals jumped right in and said, of course, right, why wouldn't we want to do this? And then they did the difficult work of making sure that like we've created a lot of systems over time that inhibit collaboration um and talk about that because i think that's what hinders a lot of nonprofits from going into this yeah. and i think it's the the maybe it's perceived barriers um and maybe some system issues yeah. that oh we just we can't do that yeah. what did you run into and maybe overcame when you do this process you know the the biggest one that we point to has to do with data sharing okay uh, and and there are a couple reasons for that i mean le- there are legitimate privacy concerns around data that you sure. have to work through. Uh, but the, you know, the, un, the, the thing that was harder to surface, it was easy for people to talk about data privacy and data security and, and to be concerned about that. But we've created a system in the nonprofit world where we use data to compete with each other. And so like people didn't want to talk about that at first. Uh, and we had to create safety for people to say, you know, well, what's this data for? Who gets to tell the story? How do we talk about it? Because our funders mm. are used to sort of comparing us with this data and making decisions. So even though we like each other and we collaborate and everything, data has become this tool that inhibits collaboration a little bit. For fear of really, at the end of the day, lack of funding or funding going somewhere else. Exactly. Exactly. So part of this path of, of changing the way systems work is changing the way funders think about impact and results and recognizing that at the end of the day, the goal shouldn't be to isolate one program as better than the others. It should be to figure out how we take all of these good programs and help them work together better so that we solve this problem. The other behavior that is true of funders, and this was something United Way had to change on day one, um, data gets used to make funding decisions that can undermine long-term collaboration. So one of our nonprofit partners said to us, we were in a meeting talking about sticking it out until we solve poverty in a community. And, and this really brilliant uh, nonprofit leader said, okay, United Way, this all sounds great. You're asking us to join you in a long-term process to effectively change the world and end poverty. And three years from now, you're going to take the money you're granting to us 
take it all back and have another grant cycle. And that's the way funders operate is you make a one or a two year or three year grant Mm -hmm. and then we all have to compete for it again. And what's to say that you're not going to decide you want to do something else three years from now? Or that, you know, some grant scorer evaluator doesn't take, you know, just randomly look at this particular application and say, well, that's not quite as good as this one. We're going to totally shift strategies and fund organization B instead of organization A. And she called us out on that because that is the typical funder behavior. Absolutely. So how did you respond? That's well, a great I, question. I, I, I crossed my fingers <laughs> because I couldn't, make, I, I couldn't make this decision by myself. Right. This is a board decision. Right. right? Mm-hmm. And I, I was standing in front of a room full of nonprofits saying, <laughs> okay, United Way, are you going to change your behavior? Right. And I crossed my fingers and I said, of course, we'll change our behavior. This is That's a gutsy call. Like, we have to do that because we we're making long-term commitments to these communities and we're gonna make and, and instead of creating this fear where you have to, you know, send us a report twice a year justifying, you know, your program's effectiveness, we wanna be in a conversation with you where we're looking at data once a week to see whether we're working. And and so I have to make two commitments to you. One is we're never just gonna pull your funding, you know, without conversations that lead to improvement. Um, and the other is we're not going to have grant cycles anymore. Like, and so we became That's a big change. Yeah, luckily, our board and our CEO at the time totally understood that. And, and I didn't get fired. So you, from, you, you, yeah. <laughs> didn't lose your job for that crossing your fingers moment. Exactly. <laughs> um, and, and we, I think, I think we're the only United Way in the country that doesn't have grant cycles for the majority of our, our resources. So that's very unusual. So that's yeah, a way yeah. to go to be a leader. You know, me being an executive director of a nonprofit, that is a, a very refreshing change. Um, so fantastic. Well, we are out of time. This has been such an interesting conversation. If they want to find out more about the Salt Lake United Way, where do they go? Very simple. It's www.uw.org. Perfect. Uw.org. Bill, it's been great having you on the show. We have run out of time. So again, if you want to find out more information, it's uw.org. Bill Krim, CEO of the United Way of Salt Lake. Thank you so much for sharing your insights today. It's been great having you on the show. Mm